0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi,
1: this is Brett Amron.
0: And I'm Jeff Bast, and this is The Practice Podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest, Miss. Carol Fox, who is a Senior Managing Director at B. Riley Advisory Group, formerly known as Glass
1: Ratner. Hello, Carol.
2: Hey, Jeff. Hey, Brett. Hey, Carol.
1: So excited to have Carol here today, right? I mean, fitting us into the busy schedule. She's been traveling, kudos to her on a huge case, and she's been traveling every week, even during the pandemic. So we appreciate your time and thank you for making it to appear on our podcast today.
2: Appreciate being here.
1: Carol, do you want
0: to introduce yourself to our thousands and millions of listeners, what you do and what your background is?
2: Sure. So, hey, thousands and millions of listeners, I'm Carol (laughs) Fox, and I'm a senior managing director, as Jeff said, at B. Riley Advisory Group. I've been certified in public accounting since the 80s, the late 80s, and I've been practicing in Albansy and restructuring both in and out of court since approximately 2000. Prior to that, I had a healthcare background and a general accounting background. That's what I spent the first third of my career on. I'm a certified insolvency restructure analyst, a certified fraud examiner and a CPA. And primarily I practice in bankruptcy insolvency. Currently, I'm a chapter 11 trustee of a chain of hospitals and I am also a subchapter 5 trustee appointed in February of this year.
1: So we today we're going to talk to you about your subchapter 5 trusteeship and your experience in that. That's the topic for today. But perhaps if we can, maybe when you're done with the hospital case, we can come back and talk to you about healthcare, running hospitals in especially during this time pandemic cuz that would be super interesting. But today we're going to talk to you about being appointed as a subchapter 5 trustee and what that means, what Subchapter 5 is. So can you kind of give us a little bit of a primer on what Subchapter 5 is exactly?
2: Sure. So a Subchapter 5 case, and it's different. When I was first appointed, a Subchapter 5 debtor was a debtor who had unsecured debt less than approximately $2.7 million. But COVID and the CARES Act changed that and the debt limit was raised to $7.5 million. So that's currently what, in broad terms, to qualify for as a subchapter five debtor, you need to have debts less than $7.5 million or I guess, less than or greater to $7.5 million, just to be exact. There's other little nuances, but basically that's the litmus test to become a Subchapter 5 debtor. Then beyond that, there's different reporting requirements for a Subchapter 5 debtor. For example, there's a monthly operating report that's created for a small debtor. A Subchapter 5 debtor does not have to file a disclosure statement, which is different than a conventional Chapter 11 case. And additionally, a subchapter five debtor is kind of like, I'll liken it to this because we like running, so or at least Brett and I do. So sometimes a chapter 11 is like a marathon, and a sub-chapter 5 is a sprint. The goal of the sub-chapter 5 is to have a plan filed with the court in 90 days after the petition date, which really requires a lot of jockeying and a lot of almost work pre-filing to get the case in a state where you do have consensus.
0: Right. So just to add some color to that, so subchapter five is a new subsection of chapter 11. It's primarily for businesses, but also individuals that are, they tend to be on the smaller side and want this sort of streamlined process that they can elect. It's a subset of chapter 11, as Carol said, and it came on to play in February just by coincidence. And then with a debt limit of two point seven million and then the CARES Act bumped it up to seven and a half million. And so we haven't seen that many of those cases, right? How many have you been involved in so far? Because they only came on the play in February and then we had the lockdown in March and so things were thrown
2: amiss. Right. So candidly from a personal perspective, I believe my appointment became official right around February nineteenth, February twentieth. On February 21st, I was appointed Chapter 11 trustee of uh, AmeriCorps Holdings and then embarked on my travel marathon. So when the United States trustee called me about my first Subchapter 5 case and asked me, I think that was the first week of March, whether I wanted to be Subchapter 5 trustee for this debtor, I told them no. But then they talked me into it and told me I could do everything by Zoom or telephone and court call, which is the way I've done all of these cases, which is a little different, right? We're not going to court anymore. So to be candid, I've limited the number of cases because of my involvement as a Chapter 11 trustee, And so I've had three cases. And then I can tell you what they are. When I interviewed for the position, I told the United States, they asked me what specialty I thought I would excel at. And I said, well, you know, I have the most experience in healthcare, and I have a lot of experience in not-for-profit. So I think I would be good in that. But I have also just a background in small businesses just from working with chapter seven trustees in general. So I had one general debtor who was an importer exporter and that case resulted in a voluntary dismissal. And then I have two ambulatory surgery centers. And so those cases are still active.
1: And if you can share with us, I want to get back to the increase in the debt limit and under the CARES Act, but If you could share with us what led to the voluntary dismissal, was it something they ultimately agreed upon a settlement or something that they could not actually move forward on the subchapter five?
2: Yeah, so I would say that the subchapter five, while it does seem simplistic, Mm -hmm. it's not for a novice. And or an office attorney. And I think that the attorney that filed the case, primarily a Chapter 13 attorney, and he didn't have a whole lot of experience in Chapter 11 cases. In fact, I basically prepared the first monthly operating report for the debtor. What led to the dismissal, and this is something to consider and I know a lot of subchapter five literature has referenced this, there were concurrent cases. The principal of the debtor had a 13, a chapter 13 going on at the same time the debtor was trying to reorganize under chapter 11 and it just didn't work. The literature says, and in theory, maybe a different attorney could have made it work, But this was trying to be two bodies of creditors with the same pot. So that's what led to the voluntary dismissal of that case.
0: So for the benefit of our listeners, a chapter 13 is an individual reorganization. So a chapter 13 debtor has to take their assets and income and formulate a plan to pay those people. And I think what Carol's saying is that because this individual has to pay their income, their income is derived from the business. The business is itself in Chapter 11 who would need to use its income to pay its creditors. And so that created, I guess, a strain on both cases, right? Right.
2: Like a catch-22, really, if you will, Jeff. That's
1: exactly it. Yeah. Or a catch-24. Ooh. <laughs> uh, well played. Well played. Yes. Good math. Thank you. Real quick, I mean, I think it's going to be very significant. I'm not sure we've seen the full impact yet of the increase under the CARES Act from the debt limit, right? Two and a half million to seven and a half million approximately is significant, right? And brings into the fold a tremendous number of potential filers and businesses that could take advantage of the subchapter five. Have you seen any, I know you've got three cases, but have you seen or talked to any of your colleagues about... Any increase that they've seen in these filings as a result of even the CARES Act coming into play and increasing the debt limit?
2: Well, I think a lot of attorneys are taking advantage of the higher debt limit and being able to file a case Mm -hmm. under... Subchapter 5, as I said, I had three cases. Only one case hired a financial advisor. But I know that my firm is serving as financial advisor to a number of cases that are in Subchapter 5. So I asked the attorney who's the attorney for the debtor and one of my cases that has a financial advisor. And I asked him, you know, is this really more beneficial for your client? Is it more cost effective? Because your fees, quite frankly, are high. The financial advisor has high fees and so does the attorney. And what he said to me was in the long run, it's like front loading everything. In the long run, it'll be cheaper because the case won't be a marathon as we referenced, but that in the beginning, the fees are higher because you're running more of a spread. And so I hope that the courts realize that when they're reviewing these fee applications, because a lot of work, especially if the debtors books and records are not in good shape, a lot of work is required at the beginning.
0: Right. Yeah. I like Brin versus marathon analogy. I mean, I think generally it is a known characteristic of chapter 11 that time is definitely money. The longer a chapter 11 case goes, the more a debtor will spend just on professional and administrative fees, It's just costly to be there. And so speed is an ally in chapter 11 generally. So Carol, what is, as the sub chapter five trustee, what is your stated role?
2: It varies, but I'm glad you asked that question because there is quite a distinction. So when I interviewed as Percept Chapter 5 with the United States trustee, they really stressed the importance of a financial background. And I can't remember in the Southern District, the breakout between attorneys and non-attorneys, but everybody has a financial background. So my role as subchapter five trustee, in some cases, I kind of serve as the financial advisor, if if you will. If there's not a financial advisor in place, then I bet the debtor's projections, which I would do even if a financial advisor was in place. But in those types of cases, I have a more hands-on role. And so I'm actually helping the debtor, you know, like here's a format that the court will approve. The court's not going to approve the format that your projections are currently in. So it's more hands-on. In the cases where there's a financial advisor, it's just more doing what I would normally do in a non subchapter 5, chapter 11 case. It's just like giving the projections a sanity check, if you will. Additionally, I mean, here's something that came up actually yesterday. So one of my debtors is going to confirmation on Tuesday. And one of the creditors said, I'm objecting to confirmation. So I basically spent all, I I probably spent half of yesterday afternoon getting consensus between counsel for the debtor, and counsel for the creditor. And I really had to come, and I did get it, but I really had to think quickly. It was almost like a mediation on steroids. I I had to think quickly about a solution and get both sides to agree to that, which did happen, but it could have not happened too. I just didn't think about it not happening. I just thought about it
0: Happening. So, you, I mean, there's a good argument that you saved the case right yeah. there.
2: We used to tell the kids when they were in sports that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I dug out a very pragmatic and practical solution that both sides agreed to. I think the key to that is that I read every pleading within 24 hours after it's filed. And so that I don't have to go back and like look at the docket and try and figure out the case or try and jog my memory. Most of it is if I don't remember it, if I just look at the docket, I will will remember it almost automatically.
1: So so subchapter five trustee sounds like facilitator, advisor, potential mediator. I mean, there's a lot of of hats to wear in order to try to get the process in the right direction. What have you seen thus far, again, either yourself or you've heard from colleagues and seen in the system, some tips for potential business owners or lawyers, tips for success, getting a a filing to confirmation within the time that is set out?
2: In both of the cases that are going to go to confirmation, there was immediate, even before the initial debtor interview, there was immediate dialogue between the debtor and the creditors. And that was really important. And I participated in all of those. I also, as the Subchapter 5 trustee, if that hadn't started, I have Contacted counsel for the debtor and told them that I was going to reach out to their creditors and find out where the skeletons were buried and try and and head them off as quick as possible. But what I would advise any attorney who's filing a case is to almost have like a prepackaged plan going. Get consensus of the creditors, get a plan support agreement outlined. And I think that that helps, that takes the Edge off, and it's a good tool to prepare for the status conference, which comes up rather quickly in the case. So, I would just say three things prepare, prepare, prepare before you file the case, and that can save your client a lot of time, money, and anguish,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, and you also, besides prepare, the other the other term you mentioned, which I think is fundamental to any workout, whether it's in court or out court is communicate, You said dialogue, but communication with creditors is so commonly overlooked. And I think debtors just sometimes have a tendency to kind of, or debtors, lawyers have a tendency to just to move forward and not really communicate. But if you open up the dialogue early and you work out a deal early, you're going to pave the way to a consensual and quick and streamlined plan. To me, my rule of thumb is I don't like to go in unless I have a plan to get out. So before we even file a chapter 11, we're already thinking about what is the plan look at if we haven't already mapped it out
1: already. Sounds like you're agreeing with that.
2: I do.
1: Plan, communicate, and have an exit, right? Know how you're going to get out before you get in.
2: That's right. You have to have plan feasibility. So one thing that I have noted in these cases is the debtors have all struggled pre-COVID. And so while they'll all say, well, coronavirus is the impetus for me for filing this case, it might have pushed you over the edge. But I think we need to accept the fact that we're going to be in this environment for a while and we have to operate in it. And so the projections need to reflect that.
0: Yeah. Wow. And I think that comment, so feasibility, for those who don't know, just means that you have to demonstrate that your plan has a more than a reasonable chance of success. It doesn't have to be guaranteed success, but just a reasonable chance. And I think in this environment, how do you really challenge what the future looks like? I don't know how anyone can really predict with any accuracy how and when they're, what their business looks like. And I think it's critical to this process, but...
2: And so, Jeff, one way you can overcome that is if the principal of the debtor agrees to fund the shortfalls, then the right. debtor- say, okay, this business isn't completely, the success of this business isn't completely contingent on an uncertain em- environment and that the principal of the debtor will, or the principles of the debtor will fund the shortfalls. And so that gives creditors a sense of security.
1: That's so hard in this environment, just so, so hard yeah, in this yeah. environment because, there's so many things that are out of the control of the principle of the business, right? I mean, yeah. you know, what if there's another shutdown or lo- locally or statewide or another outbreak? What if the economy goes further into the to the tank? But there's a lot of things that are not in their control. But if they I guess if they have the capital right. and the ability to back it, perhaps that's how they can see it through.
0: Carol, I would say this. I think it's an elegant solution, the principle backstopping it. But Brett and I are not committing to doing that if you're our Chapter 5 trustee, (laughs) Chapter 5 trustee in one of our
1: cases. So, no admissions here. We are not committing. We're not committing to that. Yeah, play the tape.
2: I'll let the judge know too, okay?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. We can't use this against us. I think this is really informative. It's
0: subchapter 5 is an exciting new provision of the code, and it's great to hear from someone who's really on the inside of these cases. And I think we're going to, even though it's really started off slow, I think we're going to see a tremendous ramp up of those filings. And I think there's more to come.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree, especially given that right now, at least anyway, the $7.5 million debt limit under CARES Act is going to expire one year from when it was implemented. And so I would imagine we may see if that, unless that gets extended, I would imagine we may see more and more businesses try to take advantage while they still can. So stay tuned.
2: They're really exciting cases, but I would definitely, as I said earlier, I, I would definitely advise not filing one unless you've planned and have spoken to the creditors. And as Jeff said, a lot of times the debtor and the attorney for the debtor just want to kind of shirk away from the creditors and let them be. That just can't happen. They're, but they are exciting cases. They're really interactive. and. Yeah. I'm enjoying them. So you enjoy
1: the sprinting rather than the marathon. I get it.
2: You know me. (laughs) I'm more of a marathoner. I I am enjoying it. I will say just in closing, it was a little daunting because there was, you know, they give you the sub chapter five manual. Okay. But there is really no manual. You kind of have to pick it. Up and learn it on the fly and like everything else, I've likely made uh, mistakes. but you learn it. So there is a, the manual is nice and I think it addresses things like monthly reporting for the subchapter five. but really it's just really learning it. And it's a different kind of a niche, but I'm enjoying it.
0: Yeah, we've needed this. look, small businesses are the fabric of this nation of this great nation. And the opportunity to help a small business in a process that's really designed for the small business, because chapter 11 kind of is all-encompassing, big and small, I think it's great. And I, and I think subchapter five debtors are fortunate to have someone like you on their side in a case. Really, you're bringing a level of expertise that a lot of small businesses' owners would otherwise not have access to. And they should be grateful. Well, I'm grateful. We are grateful. Thank yes. you, Carol.
2: Thank
1: you. Yes, we are grateful for your time, Carol. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And happy travels and hopefully can bring you back down and stay down in South Florida permanently soon.
2: Yes. <laughs> thank
1: thank you. you. Thanks again.
0: For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at fastamron.